Folks, if I could ask you to turn in your Bibles to the, the passage at which we read a moment ago. Page 1144, the opening verses of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll come to that passage for a few moments just now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this encounter that we're welcomed to have here as we gather week by week on your day. Lord, it's been lovely to, to speak to you, to raise our hearts and our voices in praise and in prayer. And Lord, we know that, that one great privilege we have in a moment like this is to hear you speak to us. Thank you for your word written for us, handed down to us. Thank you for your spirit who comes now to, to make your word alive to us. And Lord, we pray that right now we would listen and hear you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the summer, I tend to spend a bit of time preparing and thinking about what teaching I, I ought to be doing in church life in the year ahead. So over the last couple of months, I've been wondering what to begin to teach this autumn time. And I find myself torn. Usually I find that there's one thing that I lock on to and I'm just ready to go in September. But this year I've been sort of back and forward a bit and not quite sure which way to go. On the one hand, I wanted to preach again about the church. Often in the autumn time when we get back together, um, I like to take a bit of time to just gather our thoughts and put our focus once more on on what the Bible teaches about church. And we've done that over the years. We've thought together about biblical images of the church or purposes of the church. And last year we thought about the gospel-centered church. I'm absolutely committed to continuing to do that uh, right throughout my, my teaching ministry because it seems to me that it's, it's just crucial that as a church we pay attention to the biblical revelation to ensure that we are, are, are centered on God and his will for us rather than just some sort of prevailing church culture. So I've, I've wondered about teaching again on the church but at the same time, I've had a growing conviction that it'd be good to teach one of Paul's letters in a morning service. We've done a number of Paul's letters, but mostly in evening services. Um, and I had in mind to, to teach 1 Corinthians. You'll probably tell by the reading which, which way I went, whether it was teaching on the church or whether it was teaching 1 Corinthians. I had a sense in the end that by going and looking at 1 Corinthians together, we'd, we'd learn an awful lot about the church in doing that. And I was, I was delighted when I was doing my work in the study this week and I read some of Gordon Fee's introductory comments in 1 Corinthians because he showed that actually to preach Corinthians is to, to teach uh, dramatically and fully on the church. He says, 1 Corinthians is perhaps the single greatest contribution, uh, sorry, that he talks of First Corinthians and he says that perhaps the single greatest contribution of our letter to the Christian faith is Paul's understanding of the nature of church, especially in its local expression. What he means by that is, is a real church family. 
Not church in a world scale, not church as a theological concept, but this, this thing that we're doing here this morning and, and that we are during the week. Local church is what 1 Corinthians is all about. So, in a sense, I'm now at ease because I think we're going to learn a lot about the local church as we come to this letter. This morning I want to try and introduce to you 1 Corinthians in a couple of ways. First of all, I'll give you some background just for a few minutes and then to look at the first opening verses of the letter. To, to understand Paul's letter to a church in the city of Corinth, we've got to understand a little bit about the city, about Corinth. And the first thing that we say about Corinth is that it has a, a massively strategic location. Corinth is, is located on a, on a four and a half mile wide little corridor of land between the Greek mainland and the Peloponnese of, of southwestern Greece. If you look that up on a map, you'll see that there's a, this substantial landmass that's joined to the mainland only by this narrow corridor. Now that's important because it means all the traffic back and forward uh, from the Peloponnese uh, to the mainland must pass through Corinth. As well as that, Corinth had two ports, one that served the Corinthian Gulf to the north and one that served the Saronic Gulf to the south. And, and a fascinating thing happened there. If you look it up on a map, you'll see why this makes sense. All the traffic from Italy in, in the west heading to Turkey in the east had a choice to make, either to sail around a huge landmass or what in effect people ended up doing. They sailed into the port of Corinth. They unloaded their goods, took them across this four and a half mile uh, corridor and then put their goods back on in the, Saronic, in the, the port of Crenshaw into the, the, the Saronic Gulf. Now, if you have any sort of a commercial mind, you'll just see pound signs all over that. They taxed all the goods that moved through there. All the traffic that came through there would have needed to be accommodated, would have needed to be fed and watered. This was just, to live in Corinth was a license to print money. It was a wealthy strategic location. And you don't understand Corinth unless you understand that about it. A second thing about Corinth, it's no secret that seaports often end up uh, being centers of flourishing sex trades. That's, that's the way it is in the modern world. And it was no different in, in Corinth of Paul's day. Long before Paul had ever arrived on the scene, uh, Aristophanes, uh, uh, an ancient Greek writer, he coined the phrase, Corinthiazo, to be like a Corinthian, and that means to be sexually promiscuous. Another writer, Strabo, he gives a picture of what was going on in Corinth at the time, and he describes a thousand temple prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite on the Acrocorinth, a mountain in the outskirts of the city. Strategically located and therefore cosmopolitan and wealthy, full of sexual sin, and thirdly, a place full of different religions. Pausanias, an ancient writer, he, he describes 26 different locations for the worship of gods from the Greek, from the Roman, and from other mystery cults. There would have been a Jewish synagogue 
in the city at the time when Paul arrived. And because it was a wealthy place, the same wealth that would attract uh, artistic people and tradesmen, it would also have attracted philosophers, thinkers, peddlers of religious ideas. In the ancient world, to survive as a as a, a religious person, you needed patronage. You needed somebody to, to stump up the cash to, to pay for your, your ministry. Corinth would have been full of any number of expressions of, of religion. Corinth's a, a religiously pluralistic society. I don't know how familiar you are with the, the distinctives of some of the key American cities, but in, in one commentary I read that Corinth was at the same time New York Los Angeles and the Las Vegas of the ancient world. So to understand Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, we need to understand Corinth. But we need to understand the church as well. What do we know about the church? Well, based on the, the evidence, the, the smatterings of evidence in, in the book of Acts, in 1 Corinthians itself, and in Romans it seems that the church was a mirror image of this city. In chapter 12, when we come to it, we'll see that Paul stresses the diversity of the body. There are Jews and non-Jews. There are slaves and there are free men. It seems likely that most, most of the, the members of the church in Corinth were, were from a non-Jewish Gentile background. It seems likely that they were were recently converted pagans coming from this, this religious melting pot, this, this place of, of much immorality. If you imagine that for a moment, these former pagans brought all that they were and all that they are into the church. Nobody changes overnight. The, their way of life, their lifestyles, that, that would all have just come with them into this newly formed community of Christ in the city of Corinth. And what they, they, they required radical surgery. And really that's what the, this letter to the first Corinthians feels like. It feels like a radical surgery. Paul trying to, to intervene and to, to cut incisively for their good and their healing. We've thought about Corinth. We've thought about the church in the city. Very quickly, what about Paul? Why is he writing to these guys? What, what's he got to do with this church? Paul's the founding pastor of the church in Corinth. If you know much about Paul's ministry, you'll know that he, he traveled throughout um, the, the, the world of his day, the, the Roman Empire. He established a lot of churches. But but his particular, if there was one church that Paul was maybe closest to because he spent most time there, it was Corinth. So he's the founding pastor. He spends at least a year and a half with them. These guys are very, very dear to Paul. It has a, Corinth has a large place in his heart. So Paul writes to the believers in Corinth for a couple of reasons. He's heard, we'll, we'll see this as we read on, he's heard a little bit about what's happening. So imagine a pastor founds a congregation and then goes somewhere else. He hears a little bit about what's happening there and that prompts him to respond. 
We'll discover halfway through 1 Corinthians as well that he's received a, a letter from the, the church in Corinth and he's responding specifically to some of those issues. There seems to be conflict in Corinth. Um, definitely at some level there's conflict among the members. And, and that's quite often the case in Paul's letters that he's, he's dealing with some sort of conflict in the local church. But 1 Corinthians has a different feel. The, the main conflict is not between the members of the church of Corinth. It's between the church of Corinth and Paul. Something has gone wrong in this relationship between this church and their founding pastor. And we're going to see that played out in the series as we study 1 Corinthians. We've thought about the city, the church, and the apostle. There's a whole lot more I could have said about either of those three, but that might just be enough to get us up and running. And I thought we'd spend the last few moments of our time together looking at the biblical text. We're going to spend our, our time just in the first three verses. These opening three verses give us some pretty significant clues as to what this is all going to be about. First of all, notice the structure of verses 1 to 3. The, the way you wrote a letter in those days is different than the way we write a letter today. I suppose one of the obvious differences is when we write a letter, we sign off our name at the end. They don't do that. They, the first thing they tell you is the name of the writer. So there's a formula that's pretty much always followed. Name of writer, addressee, and then some sort of greeting. It's always that three-point formula. So if I was writing to you, if, if it was the, the first letter to the church in Ballyhackamore, if I was your absent pastor, it would be Christoph to my friends in Ballyhackamore about you. That would be the, the formula. Simple as that. That's how you wrote a letter in those days. So whenever Paul speaks of himself, the writer, he introduces himself in verse 1. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul uses the formula, but he elaborates on it at each point. And each of the elaborations tell us something really important. So I want you to flick with me for a second to 1 Thessalonians, page 1186. I'll give you a moment to do that. First Thessalonians, page 1186. And just turn over that page and you'll find Second Thessalonians. So these are, these are regarded as the earliest of Paul's letters. And you'll notice that in these early letters, Paul doesn't bother elaborating on his name. It's just Paul. But now in this letter to Corinth, he elaborates, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Keep your finger in Thessalonians. We'll come back to that in a moment. Every time that Paul elaborates in these introductions in his letters, he's, he, he's sort of flagging up something important. So here's Paul writing to a church that's questioning his authority, that's questioning the gospel that he taught. So what does he do? Immediately he states his credentials. He says that he's an apostle or a messenger of Jesus Christ and that he's been appointed by the will of God. So Paul 
firmly puts himself in the service of Jesus Christ. He says the, the work that he's done, the preaching that he does, is at the initiative of God himself. It's all about the question of authority. And there's going to be a lot of that in Corinthians. Tell me this. Do you think it's possible that in the church of today we're struggling with the question of authority? We're not committed to to Paul in the same personal way that the church in Corinth was. He was their founding pastor. They had a a personal relationship to, to, to each other. But what about our relationship to the apostolic witness of Paul? What is our relationship in the church in 2011 to Scripture? To the Word of God? As we study 1 Corinthians together, we're going to be confronted with this question of authority. And we're going to be challenged to submit once more to God and to live under the lordship of his son Jesus. Paul's address... um, he, he, he's subtly begun to address the issues that are going to come up later in the letter. He does that as he, as he addresses the church as well. Look at verse 2. He describes them as the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. Flick back again to, to 1 Thessalonians. I hope you might still have your finger in there. Whenever he's writing to the Thessalonians, he writes to the church of the Thessalonians. In God, says that in First and Second Thessalonians, but here, for some reason, it's important to him to say no. The Church of God in Rome. This church, sorry, not in Rome, in Corinth, the Church of God in Corinth. This church belongs not to the people of Corinth, not to the believers in Corinth. It belongs to God. It belongs not to Paul, its founding pastor, or Apollos, who we'll meet later. Folks, you know, we can tell a lot about how we think of church just by our casual remarks. In Ulster in recent times, it's been very common for us to talk about a particular denomination as Paisley's Church. The Free Presbyterian Church. Maybe some of the, the mega churches in, in the States, for example, are, are towered over by their, their celebrity pastors. We might talk about Piper's Church or, or Keller's Church. Paul won't have it. The church in Corinth isn't his, it doesn't belong to Apollos, it's the church of God. As we study this letter together, we're going to be reminded that there can be no big personalities in the church. The church doesn't belong to to our Kirk Session. It doesn't belong to the minister. It doesn't belong to anyone else in the church. Kirkpatrick Memorial is the church of God in Ballyhackamore. It's not mine or yours. It's his. Of all of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians is the one where he most elaborates the address, who he's writing to. 
And right at the outset, he wants to say something about this church of God in Corinth. He says that they're sanctified in Jesus Christ and called to be holy. We said that that everything that he elaborates in this greeting is important. He's going to tell us here what we can expect to follow. Well, Well, what we're seeing here is that the holiness of these people in Corinth is very much a major theme throughout Paul's letter. Just as God has called Paul to be an apostle, he's called the believers in Corinth to be an entirely new kind of people in that city. They're supposed to live there in this immoral pagan city and they're they're supposed to show Corinth what God is like. As you read the letter, you get a sense that that's not really their strength. They're in far too many ways and at far too many times they look a lot more like the the city of Corinth than like God's people in Corinth. Guys, is this not God's call on our lives as his church in 2011? To be his holy people? This is the story of the whole Bible. This is why God calls people to follow him and leaves them in this world. When he called Abraham, God said, Abraham, follow me and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. Your life is going to be a gift to the world. To the people of Israel, right throughout those those long centuries before Christ, they, they had one calling, and that is to be a light to the nations, to show the world what God is like. And when Jesus finally came, he said, I'm it. It's me. I am the light of the world. And what then did he say to his disciples? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Called to be holy. We're to show the people of Belfast what Jesus is like. That's it. If anybody in Belfast wants to know where to find the true and living God, this is the place they're to come to. And other gatherings like it where Jesus is at the center. We're going to learn a lot together about God's call to be holy as we study 1 Corinthians together. We're pretty much out of time this morning, so let's for two minutes look at the the final verse, verse 3. Paul gives his greeting to the church in, in Corinth. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, this sums up all that Paul would ever want for his friends in Corinth or anywhere else in the world. Everything that God's done for us as human beings is captured in the word grace. His kindness knows no bounds. He's created us. When we rebel and turn from him, he reaches out and he gives himself for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing 
is deserved. Nothing in our relationship with God is about our achievements. It's all a gift. It's all grace. And the sum total of how we experience God's grace is captured by that second word, peace. This is what God wants for us. He wants our our well-being, our welfare, our completeness. The the old Hebrew word shalom. He, He longs for life to be good in the richest and deepest ways. Grace says Paul, and peace. From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, in the the weeks ahead, let's come to this part of God's word. Let's learn from, from that moment in the history of the church, from Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. And let's open our lives to the grace and the peace that God longs to bring to us. Let's pray just now. Let's pray. Father God, as we even for a moment begin to think about your Holy Spirit's work in the church in Corinth, we see many points of similarity. A commercial, busy city with immorality, with diversity of of ethnic peoples and religions. Lord, we pray that you would come to us through this part of your word over these next weeks and months and teach us afresh how to be your holy people called to to live out Jesus and to point our city to him. Lord, would you come, teach us afresh and by your spirit empower us to live these kind of lives, this kind of community life, for your glory in this city. Amen.